what do I do different or what makes me unique in the industry? And for me, it was just that, that, you know, I take the satisfaction, the closing, the, the, the fact that, that people are happy. I take it very personally. Thanks for downloading. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations with unique people who have the courage to forge their own path. And uh, if you're a new listener, thanks for checking us out. And if you're a longtime listener, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me and everybody involved with this podcast that you're with us. We're sponsored by the good people at Oracle NetSuite. To turbocharge the growth of your business, check out netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, as a listener to this podcast, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So go to netsuite.com slash different. Also off the top, I want to say thank you to the Earbud Podcast Collective and my buddy Ever Gonzalez for featuring us as one of your favorite podcasts recently. Thank you so much. Um, your shout out means the world to me. Uh, it makes a big difference in helping spread this podcast. And, um, you know, you could have picked a lot of people, but you picked this one. So ever and the earbud podcast collective. Thank you so much. All right. On this episode, I'm so glad to share this with you. We hang out with one of my favorite people, my brother from another mother, a guy who was voted the top realtor, realtor of the year in, uh, North Lake Tahoe, Matt Hansen. And to me, Matt has always been a powerful example of somebody who can design your life and your business exactly the way you want to uh, design it. And, um, you know, if you're in real estate, you're going to love this episode because you get to hang out with literally one of the top guys. And even if you're not, um, there's a lot to get here. Um, You'll gain some powerful insights into marriage, uh, sales, relationships, the joy of being a small e entrepreneur, uh, because Matt and I have a playful conversation about life, real estate, adventure, and maybe most importantly, the power of having a porn stash mustache. <laughs> uh, go to lockhead.com to check out the show notes for this episode and key takeaways. Now, hey ho, let's go. My sort of interpretation of you is you're a guy as a young man who made a decision about where you wanted to live and the lifestyle you wanted to live and how you wanted to live and all that. And you you made your life work as opposed to following money or following some other fuck thing. Yep. No, and I had a wife that supported me in all of it too that, you know, went down the same road. I mean, you know, we've been together 28 years. How great is that? Right? So, I mean... Wow. I was a much younger man then, and, and uh, you know, I mean, Steph being a nurse, me being a ski shop employee, um, you know, nobody gave us six months together, but... Because you were essentially a ski bum, and she was a professional, and... Essentially, yeah. What, what kept her with you, given you were a ski bum working in a ski shop? It's... Uh, I don't know how she would answer that question. One of the things I, I we've we've talked about in the past was there was a we were going on a trip with the ski shop down to Las Vegas to the ski industry show, and 
we spent you know better part of an hour and a half in the car just driving together and and up until this point we didn't like each other i mean when we initially met so why why was she going to the ski show um so she was as dave's dave wilderado the owner of dave ski shops sort of uh bookkeeper if you will Oh, and, and, I didn't and, think I know th- knew that. No, so she had a side hustle of bookkeeping for Dave. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and if I knew that, I had forgotten the whiskey had washed that away. I don't know. You know, not that that's an answer as to why was she going to the show, other than you know, Dave being Dave, you know, would invite whoever wanted to go, and uh, so. In that hour and a half car ride, we had a lot of great conversation about, you know, what she did in nursing and college and, you know, and and I was very inquisitive about her and she had a lot of respect for that, 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 you know, I wasn't, it wasn't all about me or that I was even interested in her, you know, past or, you know, what have you. And, and, uh, you know, it, it sort of went from there, and and uh, we we shared a room in Las Vegas, and um, you and Stephanie shared a room in Las did. Vegas. Wow, and that's where things started off, and it was a whole long time ago. <laughs> wow. See, I think it, I, I'm I have no doubt your affable personality had a lot to do with it, but I also think I know what the real X factor was. <laughs> Were we talking about that earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was your mustache. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I will never forget a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember, but you looked at me and said, do I have a porn stash? And I, I looked at you and I said, Matt, when somebody looks up porn stash in Wikipedia, there's a picture of you. <laughs> okay. I hate to tell you that was probably more like 10 plus years ago than uh, a couple years ago but. maybe maybe that and maybe wikipedia wouldn't have been as popular then but yeah maybe we're still in our 40s <laughs> yeah let's just pretend so i think the stash had something to do with it yeah yeah fair enough yeah i'll keep it around yeah no it's good um it's good and she said did you only shave it once since you guys have been together yep accidentally yeah well or it started as an accident and then once half of it sort of went away with my clippers. So you like, had a well, tragic clipping accident? Tragic clipping accident. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you know how your clipper makes a noise when you're, you know, like, well, maybe you don't, but uh, you don't get your hair cut. So <laughs> no, but if, sometimes I grow a goatee and I'll trim that. That's true. So, so, yeah, so I, you know, it kind of like your clipper makes that different sound when it's biting through more hair. Right. Yeah. And, and the little guard thing on the clipper was off. And so it just, you know, instead of kind of, it was more like, <laughs> it's like, ah, okay. And the stash and was look gone. in the mirror and yeah. And it's like, uh, it's part of your personal brand, so to speak. It's part of your identity. It, you know, I, I, I agree only because of the fact, like I'm amazed sometimes that the people of some of the people that recognize me and it's like, I mean, I don't think I'm an overly recognizable guy except for maybe the mustache, <laughs> you know, but sets you have me like apart. a full on, speaking of firefighters and cops, you have a full on firefighter cop. Yeah. It's not quite like Sam Elliott, you know, um, uh, what's his, yeah, uh, but it's a big ass bushy fuck mustache. I uh, mean, it covers your top lip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a serious it's mustache. Probably due for a, a little thinning. <laughs> 
You know, uh, a couple years ago from November, I let it go. Actually, after we came back from a surf trip from yeah. the uh, Marshalls. And uh, rather than do what you do, you know, trim it sort of at the edge of your, where your top lip and your bottom lip merge, so to speak, I let it go full handlebar, handlebar down right so like what you'd have for a goatee but trim off that and i'll tell you when you're a bald dude who's six foot and 195 pounds and a bunch of tattoos with a handlebar mustache the world treats people you. get out of the way <laughs> yeah it's like wow because i look like you know a biker right i mean and it's it's just very interesting you walk into a meeting or you go to check in at an airport or you go to order a burger at whatever and like yeah the deer in the headlights a little bit more like whoa <laughs> yeah and so i could see how people remember you for the stash yeah well that was uh how old were you when you started growing it oh high school this this was this was you know i don't know 16 17 years old you know try to look old enough to buy beer yeah, I know that routine. That's where it all started. My buddy Johnny had a full beard at like 13. <laughs> and growing up in Quebec, uh, the drinking age is still only 18. Right. And it's merely a suggestion. So 13 to 18, that's that's not too big of a leap. Correct. And so Johnny was able to buy us beer at 13, 14, no problemo. Yeah. Yeah. And he would just keep that thing, you know, he wouldn't shave too often and go in there with like a full dark five o'clock shadow look mm -hmm. and buy a case of two for 24 beers no problem at 13 14 years old <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was uh i think one of the the, the funnest high school stories uh um a buddy of mine eric that uh, you know went through high school with and you know we all sort of shared the responsibility of trying to get the beer and the what have you and and at one point went into one of the stores that we went to sort of regularly knowing they were easier to, to get the beer and whatnot and he shows up oh actually going back from that nobody had any money right so we send him into the store and he gets in there and he gets up puts his beer on the counter and he starts like padding his pockets like oh crap and he tells the guy, oh, man, I forgot my wallet. Man, my wife's going to kick my ass. You know, starts. How old is he? 17. Yeah. My know? wife's going to kick my ass at 17. <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough, the guy says, you know, here you go. Go ahead. Just come back, pay me later. No way. Absolutely. So the next day we're at school telling everybody the story. We're getting all sorts of donations and <laughs> went and returned back to the store the next day and paid him for the beer. And thank you very much. <laughs> wow. And th that guy was your beer supplier for the mm -hmm. rest of, of uh, high school? Certainly one of. Yeah. 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 And like it was in Montreal, it was so much that way that um, you didn't even have to have a fake ID to get into a bar. There were like... There were many, many bars that catered to underage kids. Yeah. And you just... Yeah, see, we never tried the bar scene. <laughs> yeah, well, you grew up in a small town. It probably would have been harder to pull that shit off, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but in a bigger town where there's bars specifically for underage drinkers... Right. You just roll on in. And I'll never forget those 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 early nights and those... When, you know, when you're 14 years old, 15 years old, and you're rolling on into a bar... And then shortly thereafter, uh, we were playing in bars <laughs> at that age. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, think about that. You know how many 15, 16-year-old kids today are going to be playing in a band in a bar in the United States of America? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and the, the ID, we had, uh, 
was working at Oshman Sporting Goods before I moved to Tahoe, and we went to one of the sort of big Mexican restaurant chain places, and we had three guys on the same table. There was probably 12 of us at the table. Three of us used the same ID. The ID just kept getting passed under the table. Did you all have mustaches? (laughs) (laughs) We might have. That's a good point. (laughs) I love it. That's fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, you know, the interesting thing about you is I think a lot of us make, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to make career decisions and I'm going to make life decisions. And they sort of have them bucketized or compartmentalized. And, you know, in the time that I've known you, the impression I have, you tell me if this is right, is that you don't necessarily look at it that way, that you're, you just make it's all one thing for you, right? You you wanted to live in Tahoe. You wanted to be able to ski. You wanted to let, you know live in the mountains, and then you figured out a career that would work. That's my impression. But you, you tell me how it all sorts in your head. No, I think that's accurate. I mean, you know, the 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 lifestyle, you know, certainly came first, and yeah. and figuring out a way to support the lifestyle, you know, kind of came second, and and. Uh, you know, over time, the career choice of real estate, you know, is, has allowed me to continue my lifestyle, but it's also given me opportunity to make a very good living while yeah. enjoying my lifestyle, which I mean, in my book is the right way to approach life. Like, like I, I, I look at people living down in the Bay and the chaos and the pressure and the, and all of that. And, and no, thank you at all I, yeah. I, I mean like I'd, I'd go live in a 500 square foot apartment to maintain my lifestyle if, if I had you know the money dropped off if I you know it uh... do you remember uh, you know um, Tim Rhodes buddy uh, Tony he's also got a mustache like yours. oh yeah yeah I forget yeah. his last name he, he calls them cityots <laughs> like oh you don't want to go down there with all those cityots no it, I mean you know the, the, the with real estate and the relationships and then and the people that I've met over the years you know that that you know have their second home in Tahoe and they're down here doing the rat race and you know dealing with the pressure and working their butts off and you know it, it I mean it's a choice and um, clearly not the choice or the direction I went <laughs> yeah yeah and so uh, I find this interesting about real estate. Uh, a, a, a lot of the realtors I know, or let me let me say it this way, uh, some of the realtors I know are very much like you in that it was a lifestyle choice. It was a way to be entrepreneurial. It was a way to have flexibility. Right. Um, but what was it like? Why why do you like real estate? I guess is my question. I mean, I, I think the, you know, I was always kind of that guy that, that, you know, if you were out going for a walk and there was a house being built or an open house or, you know, something like that, I, I'd go walk through them and just kind of explore them. I mean, I, I did a few summers of construction, um, you know, up in Tahoe and, and just always enjoyed the idea of houses and, and walking through them and, and, you know, understanding whether they seem like they were done right, designed right or not, or, you know what have you and and um 
so it, it's something that I enjoy doing, and I think that's you know why we've built a few houses. Um, you know, you like building houses, don't you? I like building houses, but but realistically, I would say one of the big reasons that that uh, you know building houses is part of what I do. Far and away, the majority of houses I walk into, I would never buy in a million years. I mean, wow. What what do you think people get wrong about houses? It, I mean, call them pet peeves that I have, but I mean, there's you know layouts or or proportion of size of spaces, and you know, I mean, you've got you got houses that you know they've got a great setting out back where the two bedrooms are and the living room faces the street. Like, well, why would you do that? You go to bed and close your eyes, and you never look out the windows. Right. I mean, it, uh, I, I've walked into multi-million dollar houses that have, you know, the laundry room is right next to the kitchen because for the plumber, that's easy to connect. And there's no door on the laundry room. So you fire up your washer dryer and things are spinning and clanking, clanking around and, and making all this noise and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who in the hell thought that was a good idea? You know, and these are licensed quote unquote architects designing some of these houses licensed by who <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting and so so yeah i guess i mean you have literally walked through thousands of houses certainly and so you must learn some things about layout and design and yeah finishes and you know what you like and don't like and, and i mean the 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 likelihood of walking into a house that has a good layout that is something that that I would like that has finishes that I would like you know that's that's you know it got a nice appearance from the outside or is on the right lot that I would like or you know to put all those elements into one house really really few and far between yeah now the new house that you're building am I remembering this right did you build two garages um, there's there's a one-car garage sort of on one end and a two-car garage on the other end. Yeah, and it's sort of a horseshoe design, right? right. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. And so I, th- I thought that was really cool. Like a, you actually have a place for the cars and then a place for the crapola. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Because sometimes you can't fit your crapola and your car in the same place, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, that horseshoe design is, is, uh, is really cool. And so if I was a young person thinking about real estate, or maybe I wasn't a young person, but maybe I was somebody who's a little bit further along in life and career, but maybe I was looking at a career change and was thinking about real estate, you know, what would you say to me as someone thinking about a career in real estate? It's a lot tougher than it looks. Isn't that true about just about everything? Probably. Because it looks like, hey, glad hand a little, slap some guys uh, on the back at the bar and... You know, a business card and ta-da. Join the Rotary Club or whatever and like be a generally nice person and somebody will call you and there's some regulations and legal bullshit you have to learn. But like, yeah, that's it, right? It, on the surface, I could see how somebody could think, oh, this doesn't look that hard. Yeah. No, it, it's, uh, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, a couple of, of different, I've had a couple of clients get their licenses and want to come work for me and, you know, inside of weeks. They're, they're folding up shop because it's it's just nothing and 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 I've had the pre-conversation with them before they went down the road of look here's why it's so difficult here's all the things you get to deal with and they stood they don't hear it or something because once they're in it like holy crap I mean yeah the uh, the the 
you know the emotional roller coasters that that you ride through on a sometimes daily basis of you know you you get a phone call and it's about a new listing and then you know the next phone call is about the escrow that just fell out and you know regulating sort of your your it could drive your bipolar crazy right <laughs> No, absolutely no and 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 you know and recognizing that that at any given point you know i mean one of these transactions can be you know 10 15 percent of your annual income and that transaction could go away very very quickly yeah, right absolutely. i mean it could just for whatever reason over a 500 hundred dollar couch <laughs> what did that happen to you? I, I mean it just i mean you know real estate's a super emotional thing i mean I kind of refer to us as, as well, and I probably should be careful because I'm not sure who's going to hear this, but like uh, nobody <laughs> listens to this bullshit. <laughs> but like we're we're babysitters, right? I mean, like we've got to keep people emotionally intact to get through these transactions. A lot of times, yeah, and and that's that can be a lot of work. And you're, you know, realistically, you're 24 um, seven as far as responsibilities. And, seven days a week for shizzle, yeah. And also, like, you're also, aren't you a little bit of a marriage counselor? Because most, most homes, there's a couple involved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying and, to satisfy both sides. And, and mean, they, they always agree, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, I think it's definitely harder than most people recognize. Yeah. And so what is it, I mean, you've been in the top 5 to 1% in the Tahoe area for in excess of a decade, Two decades, excuse me. So, I mean, that's the elite of the elite. And so how, if I'm, again, that younger person or maybe a person thinking about real estate as a second career, uh, okay, so A, it's a lot harder than I think. So I'm going to have to go to work here. Right. Uh, And then if, so let's say I go to work. um, How do I then become in the top 1% for 20 years? So I think probably one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they immediately go in search of contacts, you know, of clients, where in my mind, the first thing you need to go do is understand your real estate and understand what you're selling. Before you can go provide the service to those clients that you're looking for, you need to know how to do your job. And I think that's, I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. So they're not educated on the market? Right. And down to the, we were talking about this a little bit last night, down to the very detailed level so that if, if you have an open house and I show up at your open house and I go, oh yeah, it's a nice place, whatever, but you know, maybe this part's not right or the bedrooms or what, whatever it is, you need to know, oh, well, have you seen the listing over on, you know, blah, blah, bloom street or whatever, right? right? Like you have to have that. Yeah. You need, you need to have... And, and as we also spoke about, like you need to have knowledge that the public doesn't have, right? So that the public on, you know, Zillow and Realtor.com and all that stuff, you know, they, they have access to essentially the same information that we have access. So not only do you need to have all that information, but you need to be able to offer sort of additional information. You need to know about that pocket listing or, or you know, that, that there's this house out there that offers this that, you know, just by looking on the internet, you're not going to know about, right? you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, if you're looking at a street and the street's three miles long and at the one end of the street, you're, you know, five minutes from the market, you know, on a walk versus if you're three miles away, you're going to get in your car and have to drive. And, you know, just, just knowing location 
because what street it's on. I mean, in, in our market up in Taladonner, ski slope's seven miles long. And wow. there's, there's the wicked, you don't want to live there part of ski slope. And then there's the absolutely no problem, totally fine part of ski slope. Yeah, and you know that shit. I mean, right. Yeah, upside and down. The other thing that always has struck me about you is you seem to have, and this is an interesting thing, I think with realtors and venture capitalists, which is um, your competitors are your collaborators, right? You, you've always been somebody, you correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, who it seems like you have very good relationships with other Tahoe realtors. Yeah, um, I mean, I've been at it and around it long enough. The, and weren't you the president of the Tahoe? Sierra Board of Realtors. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I've been a director and for the MLS and, and for the board and whatnot. And, and, and a lot of it's, I mean, you know, particularly now that I operate, you know, independently as Tahoe Trekkie Homes, you know, I, to get myself out there, you know, going to the broker tours and, and just being involved in things, um, you know, versus being in an office of 30 agents, and you know that network there within your office um i I think quite honestly it's better to network outside of your office Hmm. as much as you can versus just you know your immediate associates in your office why why is that the case because again there's there's you know pocket listings and and you know things that come out that people are gonna you know possibly let you know about that a lot of times they'll, you know, they may keep that in their office, but as, you know, again, somebody that's independent, I'm not a, obviously a threat within the office or anything like that. Um, you know, if you good build good rapport with these agents and you do transactions with them that go smoothly and, you know, close on time and, and, you know, everything works right, you know, they would like to work with you again and they'll, they'll give you that little tidbit of information sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe let's go to, you know, for years you worked for big chains or whatever they're called, right? What are they called? The, the big brands, the big franchises. Franchises. Mm-hmm. And then how long ago did you go out on your own now? It's been five years now. Yeah. And so you just decided, hey, uh, not doing that anymore. I don't I don't need to be part of Century 21 or Alain Pinnell or... I don't even know all of them, but whatever. <laughs> and you were in tarot and flatero, and I mean, you were, you were. It kept changing hands every fifteen minutes. Well, and that was that was the kind of the primary reason. Yeah, I went from we were we were uh, Trekkie River Homes, Intero, Keller Williams, Boyce O'Neill, and then they were going to Sierra Sotheby's, and that all that all transpired in less than two years. And I was done with it. Like, like I, I can't be changing my name, you know, every six months. And so, I mean, I had had Tall Trekkie Homes as, as my brand since the late 90s. And, you know, kind of looked at the economics and said, there's nothing that these guys are providing that I can't provide for myself for what it's costing me right. in, in my commission share and fees and so on and so forth. And so that's an interesting choice because I know plenty of other realtors who are part of whatever, and uh, they really feel like the mothership provides something and that the brand is really important on the sign and all this kind of stuff. And um, you built your own brand on the sign. You you said, no, I don't need a Keller Williams or a Sotheby's or whatever fucking brand. I have my own brand and I'm Matt Hansen. Right. 
Um, and why has that worked so much uh, so well for you, particularly when most realtors don't hang up their own shingle like that? I mean, I think the industry's got a lot of realtors sort of brainwashed. I mean, they that really? that they think that they need the mothership, and I think the industry does an amazing job of keeping people sort of trapped in an era of real estate from 30 years ago, right? When the internet wasn't there and, and, you know, just things were a lot different. And, you know, I mean, I remember talking to Tim Rode about going out on my own and, and one of his comments at one point was, oh man, you know, there's so much, you know, that you have to do and, and you got to have a phone system. It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I have a cell phone. Yeah, exactly. That's my phone system. <laughs> you know, it. it like, I mean, do you even put your office number on your business card? No. Hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and you know, so I mean, I think the industry, you know, sort of makes it feel like you know, oh, you, you you've got to have your big box, you know, office, and you've got to have all these you know agents in the building, and 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 do these things, and and. For some folks, sure, maybe that's what they need and, and that's what motivates them to go to work every day. Um, to me, it, it wasn't that at all. I mean, I, I really didn't feel like I got anything. You know, I never had... Even as a new, younger realtor? I mean, so I started with Lake Tahoe Real Estate. Yeah. Mom and pop shop. It was a couple that I knew real well, got a desk, and that was it. I mean, so you they, started they, with nothing anyway. Yeah. It wasn't like you started at Sotheby's or Keller Williams no, or whatever. I, I don't know that I can say I ever, whether it was Lake Tahoe Real Estate or Intero or Keller Williams, I don't think I ever got a transaction that came directly related to the fact that I was part of a larger brokerage. I mean, oh, I, wow. I, you know, I almost always, I mean, my business has almost exclusively been built on referrals yeah and and you know obviously over the years that that referral network continues to grow um we just closed a deal uh for an intero agent up in tahoe while there's a gentleman from grass valley who's opening an intero office but one of the sales managers down here in the bay referred his agent that works in his office to me wow so Right, because <laughs> when you need it done, you call Matt. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting because it reminds me. We had this awesome entrepreneur on um, the podcast named Isaac Morehouse. He's the founder of this outfit called Praxis, and he calls it the the category that he's creating. He calls it a career launch service. So it's a year long program for mostly young people. In who either didn't go to college or went to college and sort of got a degree in basket weaving and sort of neat, neat. And so it's based on an apprenticeship model, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a very interesting idea, I think. And he's an interesting dude. And one of the things that he says is, historically, you've gone to college to get a credential. I graduated from University of Carbidingulation, and that's going to mean something. And he says, today, fuck that. You don't need a third-party credential. His tagline or his, his, his philosophy is be your own credential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, and you think that holds in real estate? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've, I don't have a college degree. Um, I, I did some college courses way back in the day and you know, never took it all the way through. But you know, even the courses that I took don't 
correlate to what I do now. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I mean, when you go to get your real estate license, like they teach you all this crap that, that really has nothing to do with selling real estate or developing a real estate business or, you know, it's, it's the, the, you know, Equal Opportunity Act of, you know, 1940, whatever, and the history of, you know, and, and plotting and mapping and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, okay, we don't use any of that anymore, but they don't require you to understand the process. Yeah. Quite honestly. Now, you mentioned the internet. I remember back back in the day, in the late 90s, um, uh, we built, when I was at Scient, we built one of the early versions of Realtor.com. Okay. It was very exciting. It was very cool. And the idea was a very big idea. And it's pretty much based, you know, I'm not close to it at all for a very long time, but it seems like they've executed on what the original vision was, to best I can tell. Anyway, Back then, there was a thinking that said, you know what? There's going to be price transparency. There's going to be listing transparency. It's not going to be hidden behind this Wizard of Oz MLS thing Mm -hmm. and all that. And, oh, fuck, you know, realtors are going to get, quote, unquote, disrupted or disintermediated. And there won't be realtors because the Internet's going to do all this transparency and you'll be able to just do it yourself. And interestingly enough, that has actually not happened. Right. And so why do you think the internet hasn't been able to kill realtors, so to speak? Um, I mean, because it's a tough job. It's a tough business. And, and there's, you know, there's so much to learn and know and interpret in clients. And I mean, you know, one of the things with, with our market and, you know, particularly over at, in Tahoe primarily you know, you, you go down North Lake Boulevard and there's a hidden gate there for a little community up the hill that has private beach access. And then there's another little gate another mile down the road for another little private community that has beach access. And I mean, there's all these little nuances that the Internet's not going to tell you. Right. I mean, you know, Zillow, people love to, you know, well, Zillow says my house is worth this. It's like Zillow has no idea if your house is in original condition, or if it's had a $500,000 remodel, or if it has a $50,000 or a $500,000 Lakeview, or, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of facets of the real estate that it has no idea what it's grading. Yeah. And, and so it's not accurate. There's, there's that, still that human element needed to, you know, put the finite together. Yeah. It, it makes sense in retrospect, but certainly in 1998 1999 it was like hmm is this this could happen but it's it's fascinating that it hasn't and so i guess what i hear you saying is the local knowledge the knowledge of the market and then the knowledge of you know sales and the navigation of the emotions and you know being being the shrink and right. all of that yeah i don't know if there's art- artificial intelligence for that yet <laughs> yeah i think we're a long way a long way off that <laughs> Right. Now, I'm also somebody, as as you well know, who, you know, uh, has cycled through some pretty shitty realtors. And so I think it can be hard to find a good realtor and it can be hard to know because it, you guys all ultimately get trained to say the right things. And, you know, if you're a realtor, you generally are somebody who presents yourself reasonably well, if right. not very well and, and all that kind of stuff. And so if I'm somebody who's looking for a realtor, knowing that some 
you know, some meaningful percentage of realtors are actually not that good. Right. Um, how do I figure out in that first meeting whether you're a legendary realtor or whether you're a shitty realtor? So within the industry at this point, you know, largest percentage of transactions are done through referrals. I mean, there's there's very few opportunities where somebody's looking to buy or sell a house does not have either a friend or a family member or somebody that that they can talk to that's had a real estate transaction with an agent that they can then sort of look for that referral from. So I, I think in terms of you know how to get to an agent that you're going to work well with. I mean, I I think you ask need to ask your friends and family kind of thing. Um, you know, you can certainly start there, and and I think one of the things that a lot of people customers do is you know they they sort of start that conversation possibly with an agent that they were referred to or an agent at an open house, and they sort of feel um, obligated. To, to, you know, if they start talking to that person, like going down that road and, you know, if, if possible, and I, I tell clients when you're, if I'm referring them to lenders, you know, I'll give them three or four different lenders and basically tell them like, go have a conversation, even if it's only 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, you're about to have a very personal relationship with this person you need to be with somebody that you feel very comfortable with. And, you know, in, in real estate, I mean, there's agents that are there that'll, you know, jam a house down your throat and say, this is the one. And there are agents that are very passive and are going to show you 50 houses and, and let you make your own decision. And, and obviously those different types of agents exist, which means those different types of clients exist as to yep. how they want to be treated. And so I think it's a case of, you know, don't just call up the, you know, the neighborhood real estate agent you see their sign the most often. You know, if you want to put them on the list, that's great. But, but you know, have a conversation with three or four or six agents and, and really get a, a sense of who you're going to be talking with and working with. Because, again, it's a very personal uh, process and, and relationship. Yeah. You're talking about finances and, you know, I mean, it Lifestyle can get into, you know, families and... and so on. I mean, yeah, it can get it can get deep. <laughs> yeah, and divorces and shit. Now we got to sell the house, or now I'm downsizing because my wife left me, or whatever. Whatever the fuck it might it be. Yeah. There's life shit going on yeah. when there's real estate going on. Right. Yeah. Um, is it fair? Like today, I would think if I was looking for a realtor, which I can't imagine that I'm ever going to be looking for a realtor again. But one of the things I would ask is where are you in the rankings you know because i mean you're in the top one percent i don't know where my buddy mike is here in santa cruz mm -hmm. but i'd be stunned if he's not in the top 10 or 15 percent right maybe, probably higher um is that a fair thing to ask a realtor is that a good indicator as a prospect um i i i would say yes and no it, it it's for as agents, I mean, like for myself, you know, to, to say that I'm in the top 1%, if you look at me as a single agent doing, you know, the transactions that I do. Easy on the banging on the table. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, it's, yeah. I, I mean, for a single agent, you know, there's a lot of realtors that are out there in teams and, sure. you know, and they're doing the higher volume and they're doing higher dollars. But, 
you know, does that, does that, I don't correlate to that, right? I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the single agent side. And, and I think, you know, that's another thing to kind of be aware of. There's a lot of agents out there that, you know, you, you have that initial contact with them. And as soon as they put you into a contract, you never talk to them again. There's some 22 year old, whatever yeah. assistant or whatever. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, um, you know, that's not how I operate. The other thing I was shocked to find out recently, and, you know, we talked about this last night, um, the guys at, at Drift, the software company, hired this guy, Grant Cardone, to come and speak at their conference. And he's one of these real estate, you know, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins type dudes. Right. And um, he ended up saying some really shocking shit about, you know, having sex with his wife on the plane on the way home and... You know, all this like very bizarre stuff. Um, but even more bizarre than the sort of misogynistic shit was the, um, you know, I forget exactly his words, but it, he, he seems to be one of these, if they don't like it, you fucking make them like it, right? And right. don't take no for an answer. And, you know, he's he he feels like a, you know, madman times way worse, right? right. Just one right. of the absolute, like if you said, hey, What's the sort of worst embodiment of the advice you'd give to a used car salesman? It's the kind of bullshit that comes out of this guy's mouth, right? I was shocked to know, to find out that that type of advice, that type of character, and, you know, he seems to be pretty successful, still exists and that people are still listening to this shove that house up their ass, don't let, don't take no for an answer kind of approach. What's going on with that in real estate? Again, I I think it's just, you know, different personalities, different clients require different sales techniques. And, and I mean, I mentioned Mike Ferry and Tom Ferry, father, son, right? And and two completely different uh, personalities in, in how they approach business. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we've got agents in our market that, that, you know, are quote unquote sort of Mike Ferry followers and he's the, you know, you need to make your 50 cold calls and, and you need to make sure they never hang up the phone without saying yes. And, you know, I mean, just hammer on people. All that old school, nasty, yeah. always be closing Glenn Gary bullshit. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if, if you're the person that wants to go down that road as the agent and, and that's your style and, and you're, you're driven so hard to, you know, beat up on people to make things work for you, you know, that, that's your business. It's not but my business. But you're the opposite of that. Totally. Right? I mean, you are relaxed. You are relationship-oriented. Uh, you don't feel, as a client, like somebody who's jamming me through some kind of a transaction yeah. it feels like you're on my side so in i guess being the opposite of what some of this sort of hardball sales tactics uh a how did you decide to be the opposite because there's so much advice in the industry that says go do this stuff right. and then i got a couple follow-ups but how did you decide to not take that bang bang slam slam never take no for an answer kind of guy i don't know that it was even a decision i don't think it's in my dna you just couldn't do it uh, like like if if somebody tries to approach me that way uh, i'll walk away like like don't try to jam anything down my throat because i i absolutely will not stand for it so is it just one of those simple things matt where you're just you try to treat your clients like you want to be treated is it that is it 
as simple as you know, yeah. love thy neighbor as you th- thyself, or yeah. however that commandment exactly goes. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that I mean, yeah, it, it's you know, I I try to take care of clients and take care of people the way I'd want to be treated myself. The other thing I find interesting about you, you know, I told you I was on um, Pat Hyben's podcast, and then he came on Legends and Losers, and I know for sure I talked about you on his, and maybe even on when he came here, but. Um, you know, we're talking about how do you niche down? How do you differentiate as a realtor? Because, you know, a realtor is a realtor, right? You're not writing a new algorithm to put, right. you know, monkeys in space. or It's not exactly rocket surgery what you're doing, right? right? No, I mean, as Archie Bunker said, no, no intense offended. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yet, and, and, you'd, and you'd also think, okay, well, how do you create your own niche in a category that is well understood and very hard to differentiate but you've actually done that with a very simple idea you know your tagline is with me it's personal right like you you hung your whole hat on i'm a human being in an industry where there's not a lot of human beings yeah i i mean and, and i remember that conversation with you vividly on the beach here in santa cruz about you know coming up with that tagline and and your question you posed to me was, you know, what what do I do different or what makes me unique in the industry? And for me, it was just that, that you know, I take the satisfaction, the closing, the, the, the fact that, that people are happy, I take it very personally. And, and if, if something goes down that, that, you know, if I have any control over the ability to make sure they're happy. Um, I, I mean, I am going to do damn near whatever it takes to make that happen. I mean, I've done some stuff I can guarantee you many agents wouldn't even consider to, to, to make things happen. Um, and, you know, again, it just goes back to if, if, if that person, you know, if I had somebody do that for me, I would remember that person forever. And I just find it so fascinating, Matt, that today that can actually be a niche down strategy, that your differentiation is I'm a human being with me. It's personal. I I care about this outcome for you. And that's that's the sort of beginning, middle and end of your differentiation that that. And I guess what I'm saying is I find it amazing that that's a differentiation that works. And, And, you know, I don't think i'm the only one that does it that way sure you know but but is it a is it a you know is it is it even a strategy no not really it's just me it's just who and how i i am and and how i operate and and it works i mean am i the am i doing the highest volume and you know biggest numbers for our area absolutely not well you're in the top one percent for an individual realtor right right but you know, it's, it's, to me, it's not, I, I'm not interested in being the biggest. I'm much more interested in being the best. Right. You know, and the, the fascinating thing about this to me is um, where are your headsets at? You know, we had Mark and John Cronin from John's uh, Crazy Socks on. And one of the things that they said that was so interesting in, in this regard was um, they could be in a customer service situation with a customer and what the customer's saying is wrong. You know, that whatever the situation is, that mm-hmm. they overpaid or that the delivery wasn't right or whatever. And, and 
the John's Crazy Socks folks have the data and they're looking at it and they're like, no, no, we said it was going to get delivered on Tuesday. You're upset that it's not there on Monday, but it was always going to be Tuesday. Right. And so like, and what they said was, we're not in the business of being right. He said, their mantra is, uh, we're in the business of delivering happiness. Mm-hmm. And so the headset they apply is, in this situation, what's going to work for happiness? And they do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to have a, a pissing contest with the customer about what's right. Right. Um, but it's fascinating to me that in real estate, such a simple um, positioning, such a simple niche idea. The other thing I love about it is, you know, one of my favorite mantras, as you well know, is follow your different. Mm-hmm. Right, and and when you really looked at it as a realtor, you said, okay, well, what's the thing that is most me, and what's the thing that I think is most different, and then you just centered around that. You just chose to tell people what you thought the truth was about you. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I can be any more me than I am in my business. Like, like, there's, there's no bullshit. I, I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not going to push on people. I'm not going to sell them a story. I'm not going to, you know, if 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 they want to hear their house is worth a million dollars and it's only worth eight, I'm not going to tell you your house is worth a million dollars. I mean, it, it's, you know, I'd much rather be upfront, honest, and and you know, do things the way I've been doing them, and and yeah. we'll continue doing them. Um, and also, you know, I've come to. I almost I wanted to use the word hate, but maybe that's too strong a word. Really dislike most of the conversation today around this thing called personal branding. Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, I think when I hear it, it's a conversation around inauthenticity. How do I make up a thing about myself to, you know, then become known for? As opposed to what you did, which is what's true about me. Okay, how do I communicate that effectively? How do I use that to evangelize the problem and therefore the solution that I solve? Mm -hmm. And so all you really did was you didn't do personal branding. You just said what's true for me, what's true about the way I do business, why is that different and therefore important from a client perspective, and then just say that. Right. I mean, that was it, right? Yeah, am I, no, am I, I misremembering? I, think, I mean, I, you know, when I tell people, you know, my tagline is with me, it's personal. I mean, I, I don't, I don't do that as a, you know, source of, of, you know, here's why you need to work with me. I do it as a, with me, it's personal. I mean, like, like you, you, I don't, there's, there's probably another handful of agents out there that might tell you the same thing. But there aren't many. I mean, and there aren't many with my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, there's there. It, it's it's interesting when you work with agents, and you know, there are some that maybe have a personality that is closer to mine. But then, like that little you know money devil shows up on the shoulder every once in a while, and just kind of you can just kind of see that edge that's there that you know they want this deal to happen not for their clients but for them so they can put their money in their pocket and it's right. like for me it's never been about that i mean right. it's never been about the need for the money it's been about just doing the right thing and getting the right house for the right people and you know just doing it right it's not about the money 
famous Phil K tagline. Phil K. Phil and Robin Phil K. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about. I the never money. think about their last names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's true. If you do what's right, somehow it all works out in the end, right? Yeah, and and I mean, realistically, you know, Steph allowed me that freedom because you know as the nurse and the steady you know regular income and whatnot i mean you know for for my business it really wasn't about the money yeah it is great to have one person in the couple who's got some steady eddy income flow health care absolutely year in year out you're gonna get the two percent raise or cost of living raise you're in a union you're you know you've got a good union good job thing that's gonna go for your whole career right we need we, we're always gonna need nurses yeah and then you got the other you know up here and down there and bad years and good years oh and yeah absolutely. crisis in 2009 and you know everything yeah. in between right yeah no absolutely it's uh i mean there, there's definitely been some lean years out there and um you know luckily we've been on the upswing for you know quite a while now and um you yeah, know. you can only have one person in the relationship with an unpredictable income. I, I, I mean, there's people that do it with, you know, that are right. couples, couples that are real estate agents. And, and I got to tell you, that that is that is not something I think I would enjoy. Also, this is a slight tangent, but um, I really believe you can only have one crazy person in the relationship, too. <laughs> like that if you're... So, so we clearly know who's the crazy one in your relationship. It's very <laughs> obvious, right? It's just not a debate that anybody needs to have. But like... <laughs> You can't be, you know, in my case, I can't be with a crazy woman. Like it just... It'd be a disaster. (laughs) No, it's just way too much crazy, right? You have to have one person who has their feet on the ground, who is not, you know, bipolar in their emotions and, you know, have squirrels juggling chainsaws in their head and is fairly even. Right. If you're... And and I think actually, and God knows I'm no psychologist or relationship therapist or whatever, but... The crazier one person is, the more stable the other needs, needs to, to be. be. Absolutely. <laughs> and in my case, the stable one needs to have a lot of love and understanding for the crazy one. <laughs> she needs bigger feet to be more stable. <laughs> Remember, she doesn't weigh that much. That's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I you know, as, as much as I've done for my own career, I mean, I owe a lot of it to, to Steph for allowing me to be who I am. Yeah. And it seems like having known the two of you for quite a while now, that even over the last few years, you guys have sort of settled into another level of, of relationship. Like, I always thought you guys were close. and But it's interesting, you know, as a friend to watch the relationship, not just my relationship with each of you, but right. the two of you together. It feels like in the last... I don't know, three to five years or so that the two of you have got to some even, I don't know, I don't want to sound like I've lived on the West Coast too long, but like, you know, some kind of a deeper place. Like you guys are locked in deep in a very powerful way. I don't mean this negatively. I mean it hugely positively. Like you just, does that feel that way to you that in the last few years even more? Um, I I mean, I, I could see that viewpoint yes um and i don't know if it's you know something that comes with age or if it's something that comes with you know sort of uh financial stability um you know we we've certainly you know turned a a financial corner in the last five years i mean 
you know, real estate in 2012 was not very good. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and, you know, there was, uh, there were, there were, you know, my income was down. I mean, you know, one of the things I don't think necessarily people really correlate is that when, you know, when real estate goes down by 40%, so do my paychecks. Right. Right. So and maybe even worse because transactions are maybe falling. Correct. Right? Absolutely. So not only the transaction size is getting smaller, but when the market's like that, people are freaking out. So right. The You're going to have as many transactions at 40% off of, you know, what they used to be. Yeah. I mean, spooky shit. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we've, I mean, Steph's always been much more uh, conservative in, in money than I have. And, and there again, you know, it, it's uh, kudos to her for, you know, getting us where we are and, and keeping us where we are. And um, she likes to have a lot of soup in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And you guys have pretty much locked and loaded your future, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 And so that's a great thing. And the other thing, you know, I had a, I had uh, friends over the other day, a couple who are dear, dear friends, and they were having, they've been having a little bit of a challenge, I think, in their relationship. And so we were having a real heart to heart. And there's something that's gotten very clear to me over the last couple years in relationships of any kind, never mind a, a marriage or a committed partner kind of relationship, which is you have to know who you're in relationship with. And what I mean by that is um, when you truly know who the other person is, in addition to that, you have to then not be surprised when they behave like who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, I'll, I'll give you a simple example. I'm somebody who loves to go surfing. Right? I'm somebody who loves to go skiing and, and hiking and do all this adventure shit, right? And so, if you're going to be married to me, you're going to know, like, I'm going surfing. Right. Right? I'm going fight training. I'm, I want to come up to Tahoe and see you guys, and we're going to go mountain biking and hiking, and we're going to go find that awesome river that you showed me last time I was up and, you know, boulder around and all that sort of shit, right? And so, you can't, if that's not okay with you, then don't marry my ass, right? right? Absolutely. And, and like little things, like for example, uh, Carrie turns on all the lights in the house and just fucking leaves them on. So like I spend my whole life turning lights off, right? And, and she's consistent in this behavior in that um, she will take things out of the fridge and just leave them out. Or after she'll cook a meal, you know, she'll just leave the leftovers on the table, right? Wait, Carrie leave leftovers on the table? I've never seen Carrie leave anything anywhere for more than five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, she does it. And so, like, I got to put that shit away, right? And so, like, in the beginning, I'd be like, you know, baby, could you turn off a fucking light every once in a while? Or, you know, whatever. And I just know, I don't know why she doesn't turn off the fucking lights. She just doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, I stopped saying that a long time ago. I could give a shit. I turn off the lights. I don't care. It's not a big deal. I turn off the lights. Now, that's a trivial example, but... The point is, uh, A, know who you're married to, and B, don't be surprised when they do the shit they do because that's who they fucking are. Right. Whether it's a big thing, like, you know, uh, what they want to do in their life or a small thing like leave the lights on. And so there seems to be something that's gone on with you and Steph where, you know, you deeply know who each other are and you deeply... The word in my head is accept, but that's not the right word. Like Bix Bixen, my friend and mentor, says that um, the true definition of being 
loved is when you're loved for exactly who you are and exactly who you're not. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not trying to change you. Right. And so I guess my point is, I don't get the impression that either you or Steffi are trying to change each other in any way. <laughs> you know, 28 years later, no. It, uh, you know, and, and I mean, to some degree of it, I, I would say as well, I mean, you know, we had some medical issues over the last yep. few years and, and and some spooky ones, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, does that draw you closer together? Absolutely. Well, some couples, it pushes them apart. I mean, I, I suppose that's true. Definitely not the case with us. I mean, you know, when 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 you were up in uh, Tahoe and we were on our mountain bike ride and talked about the fact that you know, with Steph's limitations, you know, I I, I want to be there for her and and make sure that she's at least getting to do the things that she's limited to doing. Yeah, you know, and and to the point of you know, maybe I'm not doing as many of the things as as I would like to do for myself, but am I doing that out of guilt from her? Absolutely not. Right. It's, 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 it's what you want to do. guilt on myself of, of, you know, I want to help her get as much, you know, of, out of what she can. And, and, you know, if that's taking some of my time, but then in exchange, you know, she's the one that's pushing me to go for the bike ride or right. go skiing or, you know, go do because, Which is perfect. because it's absolutely perfect because she knows how much you know my personality quite honestly changes if you're not skiing, if i'm not biking getting out doing my shit <laughs> as, as timmy says getting the goods in the woods right if there's no goods in the woods yeah yeah if there's no time for goods in the woods and then, then you know matt gets grumpy it reminds me of a uh, tony robbins uh saying that i also love about love which is he said the definition of love is when you put someone else's needs ahead of your own absolutely and, you know, I go back to this conversation I've been having with this this couple friends of mine. I, I, I said, just try loving the shit out of each other, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, I just try to worship her. Like, just full on. Just, just fucking take crazy ass care of her and see what happens. Right. Right? Because here's what I know. My life's never been better and she's in it. And those things aren't a coinky dink. Right. Right. And so it, if you're lucky enough to be there, I just say like, okay, well, like whatever makes, whatever makes baby happy. Right. right? Like I really, I mean, there are a few things, of course, we all have our boundaries and bottom lines, but right. for the most part, just fucking like worship. I see this in older, you know, I love to see like couples in their eighties and yeah, shit, right. you know, like your parents and shit, <laughs> yeah. her parents and who have had long, very successful, very loving relationships. And I noticed the behavior of the men in particular as a man, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen your dad say a shitty thing about your mom to other people? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Have you ever seen your dad take a position that would in any way, shape, or form compromise your mom with other people around? Yeah, no. Right? Have you seen him do anything other than defend her and support her? Right. right. And so when you just say, hey, you know what? I am just going to love the shit out of her. Right. And, and like worship her fucking little ass. Right. And see what happens. Yeah. No, and it's, I've, I've got, uh, 
a, a very close friend who's been having some, you know, wife family struggles as well. And it's that, that what you're saying, I think I'll need to go approach him with that. But I also had a conversation with him at one point that we talked about, you know, his, his comment was how hard it has been. And it's like, you know, as much as I'm sorry to hear that, you know, life's not easy. Things are hard. Relationships are hard. But if you think getting out of this relationship is going to be easier, you're sadly mistaken. Like, like, like getting, I mean, you know, give it your all and work hard on it for a while. And if, if there's that point where there's just no return, so be it. Right. But, but don't fantasize about the fact that by getting out of this relationship that, that suddenly life is going to be hunky-dory. Yeah, I remember when I learned this as a relatively young man, and it was, a, it was very eye-opening at the time, which is, hey, um, think about all those moments in your life where it's awesome. Think about all those moments in your life where it sucks. What's the one constant? <laughs> you. Yeah. Right. And so, like, if your life sucks. Right. Yeah, like, you know, my job sucks, and my wife sucks, and my friends suck, and my boss sucks, and da 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 right? Yeah, go look in the mirror. You probably suck. <laughs> and, you know, we had a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Jacob Towery, on, and he's one of the top um, child and teen psychiatrists in the Bay Area. You know, you think about that. Oh, by the way, and he's got a fucking full-on, like, I play lead guitar and social distortion mohawk. mohawk. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things I talked to him about, because I had seen some of his speeches and stuff, and he, he, you know, if there's three kids in the family and the three kids are fucked up and they, the parents send the kids to therapy. <laughs> yeah, fix my kids, will you? <laughs> right. But like he has a very gentle, super Jedi Zen way of saying, hey, um, if there's three fucked up kids, um, what's the constant? What's the... Common denominator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, um, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? No, I thank you for the invite, and uh, this uh, was was fun, and I think we'll need to do it again. And yeah, I'd love to have you back. Might I have mean, to do it over some scotch when it's not middle of the afternoon. We'll need to do an evening one. Well, day drinking's always good. If you if you didn't have to drive up to San Francisco, <laughs> we we could do some day drinking. But. Uh, yeah, well, listen, I just appreciate this time with you. And I mean, you know how much I love you. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Well, there he was, or there he is, Matt Hansen. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, clearly. Now, it's got to be grow time in your business. Um, NetSuite wants to help you master your growth. NetSuite has become the number one cloud ERP suite. Yes, NetSuite is the category king in helping high growth entrepreneurial businesses because they deliver a complete business suite uh, from end to end. Now, if you're the founder and CEO of a high growth business, you know this job can be very demanding. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most demanding jobs in the world, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And it's full of challenges at every stage of growth. Why not invest today in a platform that will take you from the garage to the IPO and beyond? NetSuite helps you manage your business rather than manage technology. With NetSuite, you can help lower costs, 
get better alignment between technology and your business and have a business platform that scales is easy to deploy and manage and has pain-free upgrades don't we want that pain-free upgrades also NetSuite is built for a modern environment so that means you have anytime anywhere access including of course from your mobile phones and tablets and the like NetSuite allows you to develop a truly collaborative work environment by bringing your people together across departments so they can share information and leverage each other's strengths and tap available resources in the most effective manner possible. Now, as a listener to this podcast, NetSuite is offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Go to netsuite.com forward slash different today, and uh, that's where you can get that set up. That's netsuite.com slash different to talk to an expert in your industry about how you can master your growth. Also, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always send email uh, to blackhole at lockhead, L-O-C, two H's, ead.com if for some reason you want to follow me on twitter uh why not i'm at lockhead on twitter and i'm also at lockhead on instagram all right we would like to thank matt hansen and his amazing business tahoe trucky homes check out tahoe trucky homes all one word dot com today where matt and his team will help you make your tahoe dreams come true because with matt hansen it's personal Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different, the number one bestseller by Heather Clancy and myself. Uh, Check out Niche Down on Amazon.com today. One of my favorite charities in the world, OneLifeFullyLived.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out, OneLifeFullyLived.org. Um, Now, if you're a growing entrepreneur, um, if you want to have some breakthroughs in innovation, um, check out GrowWire.com. GrowWire is a hot place, a hot new place on the internet uh, where there's a podcast, there's awesome written content, uh, and there's even a YouTube uh, TV station or TV channel, I guess. (laughs) Check out GrowWire.com today. Now, um, are you feeling a little bit under the bus? Would you prefer to be driving that bus? Maybe it's time to check out a virtual assistant. Uh, Why not look into leveraging the power of virtual assistants at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants at bottleneck.online today. And don't forget about our friends at the Front Row Foundation. This is an amazing nonprofit uh, helping people with life-threatening diseases have uh, an incredible uh, experience towards the end of their life. Check out frontrowfoundation.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain disturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is clearly produced in a studio that contains nuts. Teach entrepreneurship. Don't try to breathe underwater, unless you're wearing scuba gear, that is. Um, remember, this podcast may contain very bad ideas and uh, generally goes down a little bit easier with an adult beverage. Uh, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to Blue Rodeo. Never jog near a prison. Thank you, Dandy Candy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Richard C. Kelly, Chairman of Pacific Gas and Electric. Say that three times fast. Sorry, Dickie. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. And uh, until we meet again, follow your different. <laughs>